Hello everyone and thank you all for signing up and attending today. Um, we are set to welcome over 150 attendees to this event on race and sport and we are very much appreciative of your time. Uh, join us summer that has again shown the how vitally important this subject is. My name is Greg Johnson, I'm Head of Regional Sport for Reach PLC and today we'll be chairing the discussion with our brilliant panellists Anika Anora and Gurmaj Singh Palwar. So please allow me to introduce them both to you properly. Anika Anora is a former Olympian who won bronze at Rio 2016 and has also won medals in the relay as, and as an individual sprinter in the World and European Championships. Anika is the host of Hidden Greatness podcast, which is all about how talented people can use their subconsciousness to find success and is releasing her autobiography, My Hidden Race, in March 2022 through Reach Sport. Anika is also ambassador for Malaria No More UK and a columnist for Reach's Olympic newsletter, The Torch, which is running throughout the summer's Olympic Games on the Mirror and all other titles. Hello, Anika, and welcome to the panel. Hi, hi, Greg. Great to be here. Well, thank you for thank you for coming. How are you today? Great, great, good, thanks. Good, all good. Cracking. And of course, we have Gurmaj Singh Pawar as well, who is CEO of Med Media and chairman of hockey club Barford Tigers. He is co-founder of Hockey All In, um, a group that works to address racism, elitism and promote diversity and inclusion in hockey. In 2020, Gurmaj prompted England Hockey to review access and talent identification in hockey as a sport after going public about issues of race and class in hockey, which he identified as having lost touch with modern day Britain. He is also host of the podcast COVID Opportunity and Isolation, Welcome, Gurmage. How are you today? Yeah, I'm great. Thanks. Thanks for having me on the head, Greg. Well, thank you for coming. And lastly, a little bit about Reach PLC. We are the largest digital publisher in the UK for news and sport, with national titles such as The Mirror and regional titles such as Manchester Evening News, Liverpool Echo, Newcastle Chronicle, Wales Online and London, to name a few. This event was organised by Reach Culture, who are part of the company's diversity and inclusion networks um, that, include, in, that cover LGBT+, social mobility, access and disability and so much more. Uh, Reach Culture is the diversity and inclusion network on race and ethnicity and we are working hard to ensure Reach PLC and the wider media landscape is more representative of the country as a whole, both in terms of our coverage, recruitment, and so much more. So anyway, enough about who we are, um, and on to the point of today's panel. Um, if at any point you do have questions throughout the event, um, please do drop a, a question in the comments. We'll do our very best to answer as many as possible at the end in the Q&A section of the event. So first question in our panel discussion, before the Olympics even started, there was already lots of incidents related to race, and there's been a few that have happened during the Games as well. So we had the banning of swimming caps for Afro hair before the Games. Uh, a number of black female runners uh, appeared to be disproportionately affected around disqualifications for physiological reasons. Uh, there was a German cycling coach who was sent home for racist abuse. Um, and Olympic official broadcasters initially banned images of athletes taking the knee only to U-turn after pressure on the decision. Um kind of left a few questions for some people saying, is the Olympics itself racist? Um, so what are your thoughts on that, Anika? Oh, that's a long list. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is a long list. Um, do you know what? It's There are definitely levels of discrimination. Um, it's kind of unfortunate that a lot of this has had to unravel over the past couple of weeks, couple of months, you know, a lot of things have been happening over the past year or so, especially within my sport. Um, for example, with 
you know, the DSD athletes, uh, Casa Semenya taking her case to Cass. Um, you know, it's just discrimination one after the other. And then to add to that, the ongoing racism that we actually have in the sport that people don't want to always address because honestly, it does make a lot of people feel extremely uncomfortable. I don't think that some people are ready to have this conversation, but I believe that the good thing that's happening over the, what's been happening over the past year is that people are being much more open and we do need more allies. It shouldn't be on the black athletes to have to have these, you know, discussions. It, it should literally be on white people as well. Um, because you're not necessarily being the ones, you're not necessarily the ones who are being discriminated on a daily basis. Um, and I'm glad most of all, mostly that people are starting to see it now. Um, because even outside of, outside of the Olympics and the ongoing racism that the athletes have to encounter, you've also got, you, everyone also saw how things unfolded at the Euro final in, um, in Wembley, which was an unfortunate incident, but, um, but yeah, it's it's definitely it's definitely disappointing. But the good thing is we are having this open discussion. So yeah, let let's start somewhere. No, absolutely. And Gurmage, I guess in in the hockey world, this is something that you focused on last year when when you kind of called out um, England hockey on, on the issues you, you've you've noticed and recognised. Um, obviously, there's been actually a lot of focus on on diversity in hockey in in the Team GB team at the Olympics this year. Uh, what are your kind of thoughts on on the Olympics itself and and some of the issues raised there. Yeah, I think, um, first of all, mentioning the diversity in the Olympics and the GB team, I'd say definitely with the women. I mean, I'm really proud of what the women have, have done and over the last year or so to, to try and educate themselves. And they've gone out of their way, you know, independently to, to do that. And I was really proud of them to, to see that they did take the knee at the Olympics. Uh, and... Then when we look at some of the things that have happened around the Olympics, you've got Alice Deering, who has a certain genetic trait and her hair grows in a, a certain way, which is shared by um, many women around the world. And she chose not to wear a traditional swim cap and had one um, made for her that fit her better. And she was told that it didn't fit the natural form of her head. Now, I'm kind of wondering how they came up with that um that theory that you know that this cap shouldn't be allowed in the olympics i mean is there some science behind it because i think it was very ambiguous and i think it just left more questions than anything and then you've got the the german cycling coach who's referred to the eritrean and algerians as i think it was um camel drivers and again it's some of the, the ingrained views of some in western countries about their non-white counterparts. I mean, I know having heard from some of the stories in hockey camps um, in this country about some coaches referring to, for example, the Pakistani team as coming from a, a poorer country and therefore um, England or GB should wipe the floor with them. And at the end of the day, sport reflects society. Mm. And unfortunately, there are race equality issues in society and it won't change overnight. Um, and it definitely won't change unless we have sort of more diverse thinking uh, from a top down and a bottom up. No, absolutely. And I think the Olympics, given that it's meant to be this this great opportunity to bring the world together in sport, and Ike, you've you've competed at the Olympics within the kind of bubble of of the tournament. 
how how are these issues addressed? Do, do you feel that other athletes have supported you in the past? Um, how how does it feel from the inside? Um, it's a tough one because previously when I've competed at the Olympic Games, um, you've like. I'm extremely proud to be British, but there have been instances in the past where I haven't necessarily felt British. So we're all about unity and coming together and being as one. And I think that was the whole ethos and slogan with um, Team GB and the BOA, um, et cetera. But sometimes when you're a person of colour, you're not necessarily treated the same way. So when I've been outspoken about certain things to management in the past, when I've said things that have occurred and I've just been unhappy with it, you know, sometimes I've been deemed the problematic one. I've been told, you know, just kind of know your place and um, you should be grateful to be here. Just focus on the job. But that shouldn't necessarily be the case. And unfortunately, as well, the problem is when when I've dealt with these issues, to, especially when it is to do with race and being being told, oh, you're the aggressive one, you know, it's always that horrible, awful trait that black women have to have to put up with, like, as seen as the the loud, aggressive type, which isn't necessarily the case. Um, it's not even a case rather. Um, like like uh, Gamedge was saying, is that because you've got the same people in the same positions for years, especially in my sport, you haven't necessarily had any change. So it's the it's the same faces making the same decisions um, and they don't realise like their decisions ultimately impact athletes like myself. Mm. The good thing is moving forward. So over the past year, because we have, like I was saying before, been so open about these discussions related to race and equality and diversity and all these different things. For the first time ever, British athletics have a team coach, um, head coach who is uh, black and we've never had that before. And, People always say, well, what's the significance? Like, why should it matter? Why should it be based on colour? When you've never been discriminated against in your life, like, you will, that's something that you would, you would never, ever understand. Like, you can go and apply for a job and, you know, you'll have all these credentials on your CV, but people won't necessarily see um, your colour. They, they wouldn't see you if, if you're, if you're non-black, you know, they won't see that. But when you're a black person, unfortunately, I've been told, you know, from from when I was a young girl, um, I know a lot of black people have been told, I know a lot, a lot of people of colour have been told, you always have to work twice as hard or 10 times as hard than your white counterparts. And unfortunately, that's just how it is in society. Um, I want to see change. I do believe that change is coming. The likes of Christian Malcolm get being in the position that he's in. Um, alongside Darren Campbell, who's also head coach of the sprint relay team as well. Um, it's it's starting to show that slowly we are starting to make changes. And then you see it filtering in other areas as well. You see people of colour moving into, you know, sitting on the board, sitting within meetings, you know, executive director positions. Like these are the changes that ultimately impact how the sport is going to move forward. And that, I believe, is what we all want to see. Absolutely. I think it's it's true that a lot of the discussions that happen around how things move forward in, in football as well, in terms of directors of football and people working at the top of football clubs as well. I think, Gurmage, it, it comes back to what you you kind of raised the alarm on with, with hockey last year as well, because I know you're very passionate about the, the systematic issues of access, which cut across both class and race as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think sometimes people 
Um, we've been brought up to think of, of racism as, as being binary, that you're either racist and a, a really bad person or non-racist and, and a, a good person. And racism is a lot deeper than that. There's, you know, there's interpersonal racism, which is, you know, the the slights that people might make towards you or, um, you know, for example, when I was growing up at school, getting called a, a packy or there's the institutional racism, which happens within the institutions. And then there's the structural racism. And when we talked about structural racism in, in hockey, there's the lack of facilities, for example, for young kids in inner cities like our club, Barford Tigers. We have kids who come um, to our training on scholarships and they are free school meals kids. Um, and to, to qualify for free school meals, your parents need to be under, earning under £7,000 a year. Now, mm. I mean, I don't know how people can possibly live off that. But then you're asking these kids who might have a, a great talent to play hockey. And if they are talented and seem to go through the, the talent system, they might be asked to pay £90 to go to a, a talent centre, a regional or a national talent centre. And then when they get there, they they roll up to this talent centre, maybe someone's taken them to, to um, the England hockey camp and they see all the fancy cars outside and all the supportive parents and the coaches who don't look like them or sound like them and they, they feel excluded. There's no one there who kind of represents them and can talk to them on their level. And then as Anika said, like, you know, if they say something that could be out of sorts, they could be made to feel like they're the troublemaker and they don't feel part of the system. And this isn't um, an issue that is exclusive to hockey. I know it happens in other sports as well. And I think that that's what people don't understand when we talk about the, the structure of discrimination. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Annika, is, does that, is that reflected in athletics still as well, do you think? As much as I would like to say, as much as I would like to say, um, no, it doesn't. But yeah, I think it's definitely still ongoing. Um, what I've noticed watching the Olympics, especially for as an outsider, first of all, it's weird watching the games for the first time, especially when I've been to the last three. Um, but secondly, watching it and kind of seeing like the media coverage. Um, first of all, you've got the language that's used with with certain journalists so it's like there's always been this thing that i've i've always it's always kind of made me feel uncomfortable and i'm going to use this as an example so in my in my former events for example so you got the sprints you got the 100 meters 200 meters and 100 meters especially is deemed as the blue ribbon event you know with the likes of bolts and you know just how incredible he was as an athlete but mo because most of the sprinters have always been black it seems that the media have always tried to paint this thing where when a white sprinter comes in and they're doing really really well they're making finals potential medalists they're deemed as the great white hope yeah. whereas in other sports when have you ever heard that and the thing is also no one no one calls them out on it whereas the athletes have always constantly said especially the black athletes like no one ever says, oh, you've got the great black hope in other sports. Since when has Lewis Hamilton been called the great black hope ever? Given how dominant he's been in F1 for over 10, 12 years, it honestly doesn't make any sense. So there's, there's kind of that. But again, because you've got, because of the most 
because the media are, are white. They just feel like, oh, well, it's okay to use this language. It's it's deemed as okay, you know? Um, so there's that, which is which is obviously uncomfortable. And then you've got the whole conversation around uh, the DSD athletes. So with the, there's two, you got Casa Semenya who wasn't able to compete because they told her to take the, the medication she refused. So you can't, she wasn't able to compete as a DSD athlete. You're not able to compete uh, in the eight and the, the four, the eight and the 1500 meters. They said you do five or above or, or below four. So two, two and one sprints. And so Casta didn't get the standard for the five, 5,000. Then you got two DSD athletes, I think from Namibia, I believe, um, yeah. who, who had been running exceptionally well in the 400 meters. And I was looking at these girls all, all, all summer and watching their performances. I was like, yes, they're ready. They're ready to compete. But I know because of the internal pressures that's going on within world athletics, that they're going to pull the rug from these two girls and they're not going to give them the opportunity to compete in the 400, given the fact that everyone's now knows their clusters, the DSD athletes. So then World Athletic then said, we're not, we, you're not allowed to compete in the four, so you have to compete in the two. So the two girls were like, okay, that's cool. So the IAAF did, sorry, the World Athletics and probably the IOC wasn't expecting these girls to run as quick as they did. And one of them got silver and she ran the world junior record three times, ran an African, uh, African record. Like, she she's just she just ran phenomenal and then the other athlete as well finished fifth in the race. So there's just been all this question marks around it and like it's just it just honestly feels like it's just constant levels of discrimination, especially against black women in the sport. You've mm -hmm. got like Gamed was saying about um Alice, you know, and the caps and you know, the fact that why has this only been brought up now? Why why is it why is this conversation happening? on the eve of the Olympics, what like right into the Olympics, why wasn't, why is this even a discussion? Because given the fact that the majority of swimmers are, are white, why is it being targeted towards the black athletes? So like I was saying, I'm glad that people are able to see what's going on, but it also, it also tells a bigger part in how the media are also portraying these stories. You know what I mean? So, so yeah. No, absolutely. And I think, you know, speaking from the media side, I mean, I think you, there are some cliches out there which which need to be tackled and, and, and taken out of circulation, really, like pace and power, referring to athletes as beasts or monsters and stuff. I don't think it really is helpful um, or very fair at all. What I would say is if anyone does have any questions who are watching the discussion, please do drop them into the chat below and we will do our very best to, uh, to pick some up, um, either during the discussion or at the end in the Q&A as well uh, but Annika you, you mentioned Euro 2020 as well in the final and the reaction to, to Rashford, Sancho and Saka there as well. Gurmich as, as someone who's involved in a team sport you know how how kind of how, how, how is race kind of tied into how individuals are kind of picked out of those team situations you think and, and what was your reaction to to what happened in the Euros? You know I think um, I've heard so many people say this that when when the, the three lads missed the penalties, they knew exactly what was going to happen. And that was yeah. going to be that those three lads were going to get targeted online with some some online abuse, which is, you know, obviously abhorrent. But then, you know, I also think back to um, some of the politicians before the, the Euros talking about the players taking the knee as being gesture politics. 
and that just really kind of you know grated with me because I just thought to myself here's Pretty Patel who is the the daughter of a, an immigrant and she is in a position of power and she's playing politics with this you know and, and myself as a as a, a son of an immigrant you know what I'd like to say to, to Pretty Patel is that it's because people have taken a stand against racism in the years before and they're continuing to do so now that she's been able to get into the position that she's got into so I just felt I thought that was an abhorrent comment from somebody in her position you know regardless of her race or her background it was an abhorrent comment and it kind of just um stoked the the flames really um so was I surprised by what happened after the Euros after that they, they uh, those three guys missed the penalties no I wasn't um, and, yeah, I think social media companies have got a responsibility to do more about this. But I think the general media and how they sort of portray players of all, all colours have got a role to play in that as well. No, absolutely. And you mentioned the knee there. I think there's been an announcement that the, the Premier League clubs are continue taking the knee. Um, as a stand against racism for the forthcoming season. Um, Annika, there, there was that decision at the start of the Olympic Games that the broadcaster wasn't going to show images of that. Now, there's some iconic moments in the past, of, especially black athletes kind of standing um, on the pedestal and, and, and raising their fist very, very famously um, in the Olympics. What, what did you make of the reaction there to the official broadcaster not wanting to show those images and eventually them caving and having a U-turn when pressure built on that decision? Yeah, I actually saw... Um, I saw some images of, you know, the athletes taking the knee. Um, not so much in, I don't think we've had it so much in track and field, but um, definitely in football, I saw some of the male, <clears throat> excuse me, male and female footballers taking the knee. And, you know, even when it was on TV, I was like, oh, are they going to keep it on? Are they going to show it? Is, is this something that, you know, it's going to get taken off? But no, it needs to be shown because people just think, oh, you know, it's just happening in football and, you know, so I know fans, right? I know how football fans are, unfortunately, especially after watching the demise of how they reacted to, you know, the, the Euros. But I, what annoys me is them saying they're sick and tired of seeing people taking the knee, like they're sick and tired of it. Like yeah. I was saying before, when you've never been discriminated against, you've, you've, you will never know what it's like to to actually have an understanding of what it's like to be, to, you know, to be, to just be a person of colour or someone who is just, you know, dealing with, you know, everyday racism. And that's what I was saying before as well about the need for allies. Like, it's important in terms of how it's shown in the media, having these conversations amongst friends, amongst family, amongst teammates. You know, I always say Google is free. <laughs> just, yeah. There's so many ed educational books out there. Um, it, it's not for us to do the work, but it's for everyone to make sure that they are included in the conversation and to keep it going. So when now now that we know that the footballers are going to take the knee, continue to take the knee next season, that makes me happy. But and the the football fans will have to have to just deal with it. Like let's let's just continue to just build momentum. Like that's the only way that we're going to continue to see change and have an understanding of how it's not just going to be something we're going to do for like you know. Um, a small bit of window for some activism where now it has to be ongoing in order to see change. No, absolutely. I think that's a useful kind of segue to our next kind of talking point in the in the power discussion, which is role models, really. Um, 
and we'll stick with you, Anika, because um, talking about the footballers and then taking the knee, I think they are inspirational figures, to, especially to our young people. Um, and I think we're probably seeing more of what we maybe saw in NBA and other sports coming through to footballers, kind of taking certain responsibilities on themselves. I think Marcus Rashford and the free school meals is a great example of that. But who were your role models in sport growing up and, and why were they important to you? Oh, I have a lot. <laughs> I have a few, I have a few. Um, so probably, well, given I'm being biased, so, you know, my sport was athletic. So growing up in the 90s, I loved seeing the likes of Linford Christie, um, Kelly Holmes. My biggest inspiration, I remember, was probably Denise Lewis. So seeing Denise Lewis perform at Sydney Olympics to win gold, I even remember watching and when I was very, very young, I'm not going to say my age, but <laughs> watching the Atlanta Olympics and when she got silver. So to see her when I was like 15, 16 to win gold in Sydney, that pretty much changed everything because there's nothing wrong with being inspired by people who look like you. Mm. And the reason why I say that is because there was a moment when um, growing up in Liverpool, you know, there's, you know, it's multicultural, but, you know, it's, it, there are a lot of white people here. So growing up in Liverpool, um, when I trained at Wavertree, there weren't many black people, there weren't, you know, many black athletes, um, but everyone was very warm and welcoming. I, I love training with, with so many different people, but it, I only really saw the effects when it came to identity and race. When I came back to Liverpool and I, um, I, was I came back from Liverpool and I did a training session after the Rio Olympic Games, so the club, I came down with my medal as well. So the club were like, yeah, bring your medal down. You know, I wasn't I wasn't in Liverpool very often, just given my time and the schedule and stuff. So when the kids came and they saw the medal, they were like just in awe of it. But then when I was actually in the middle of my session, I saw this, this one little black girl watching me. And I remember my mom came down the track and she was, my, this little girl ended up talking to my mom and was like picking her brain about me. And she was just like, oh, I'm just in awe of Annika. I, I watched you in the Olympics, like I can't believe it. So what I ended up doing on my last rep, I think I did like six 150s. I just said to her, let's go. Like, do you want to do the last 150 with me? And she was like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's do it. And she, she, spiked, she spiked up, she got her spikes on. And I was like, okay, you lead us off. And she was, obviously she didn't beat me, but <laughs> it, was, it was great for her. It was great for her. Like I, I didn't realize in that moment just how impactful being an actual role model was. When I see young black girls sending me messages, being open about like racism and body image and, you know, mm -hmm. having to deal with, you know, discrimination that I haven't been able to talk about before. But it also makes you realise you're in a position of power because in order to see change, you have to have these girls look up to someone who's been in that position and just being a voice um, for the next generation. So again, going back to um, your original question, I was also inspired by outside of athletics in the Williams sisters. So, you know, Venus and Serena Williams just dominating tennis, being in, in a predominantly white sport as well, um, just being in, in awe of them. And again, these women had to face continuous discrimination. Oh, you can't wear this. You can't wear um, the cat suit. You can't, um, you, you know, you're getting fined for throwing your racket. You know, it was just constantly ongoing with these things. Whereas when some of the white players have done it, Definitely saw Djokovic lose his rag um, at the Olympic Games just last week when he when he um, threw his racket. 
but there was definitely no fine there. Whereas when it's Serena Williams or when it's a woman of colour, it's always a big deal, you know? Mm. So that's what I'm saying. Like, it's important to, to have these role models because unfortunately we do have a responsibility, but now we are in a position where we are able to, able to freely speak up and have these conversations like we are right now. No, absolutely. And, and now that you've, you've stepped away from the track and you're, you're a commentator on sport, you've got your book coming out in March 2022 as well. What do you feel your role now is, as, as, I guess, a role model who's retired from the track, but is still an important voice and, and kind of example to the next generation? Yeah, I definitely just want to continue to just use my voice. I think when the book comes out next year, uh, March 2022, um, that will people will have a better understanding of um, just the different things that I encountered. So yes, there will be some issues on race, but there'll be a whole other things that I dealt with. And just I, I just never felt a position to speak about it. Like I, I didn't necessarily feel protected in some spaces. Um, I didn't necessarily feel safe as well. Um, and also it like your identity and your race also comes into play in that, in, in like, for example, how, you know, a white athlete is treated compared to a black athlete. So when I see, you know, young girls, you know, messaging me and telling me how, you know, they feel much more encouraged to speak out and have these open conversations, it honestly makes me happy. So I haven't got a choice whether I want to be a role model or not. Um, I'll just continue to have my voice being heard. No, absolutely. And Germa, Jack, who were your role models growing up in sport for yourself? Oh man, like you know, I, I used to like a, a lot of different sports. Um, you know, from from hockey, I mean, Imran Chouani from the nineteen eighty eight Olympics, scoring the winning goals. He was like a a role model. Then you know, I looked at basketball people like obviously Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal. But you know, um, Annika was talking about the Williams sisters, and for me, they just represent progress because let's face it, they don't have a typical story. Um, tem tennis is a very much a white probably middle class dominated sport and they've made a difference is what so many inner city kids believe that they can now be and you know i'm i'm, I'm definitely not a, a role model uh, for my lack of sporting achievements but when i think about who I, I want my own kids to to kind of look up to i just want them to believe that they can be um anything they want to be um and that their color and that the kids who come to our training on on sunday mornings at barford tigers their color and their race shouldn't be a prohibiting factor in in their success in sport absolutely and who do you view as is kind of your biggest allies especially in, in the hockey world um to help make sport more inclusive and, and what part do you think the media need to play in this area as well yeah so um going back to, to last year when when um, we looked at writing this letter to england hockey and there were a few clubs um, that I approached from around the country, um, especially some of the more ethnically diverse ones, because there's only a, a handful. And I thought that they would all kind of come together and, and want to do this. But what I was kind of hearing from a lot of them was that they didn't want to get involved. They were a bit scared of the backlash from, from England Hockey if they wrote this letter to them. Mm. Um, and that kind of worried me a little bit because um, I know even people within my own club wouldn't have, have liked me to have written that letter at that time. Um, and then I, I thought that it would be mainly the sort of ethnic, um, more ethnically diverse community who'd be sort of 
um, the Allies. But, you know, I was, I was really pleasantly surprised when, you know, from I was getting people messaging me from around the country after the letter was published in The Guardian, uh, from all backgrounds and all sorts of um, uh, areas of the country, just saying they wanted to support the cause. And we kind of came up with this core group who said that, you know what, we want to be part of a movement here to make England hockey listen and change the way that they're doing things. And the Allies, I've, I've got to say, like, just a massive thank you to the sort of core group of people who who stuck with me from, from the start, really, in, in this um, challenge, because it is a challenge. It's not like a, a straight upward curve in, in progress, and there's a long way to go. Absolutely. Um, Annika, in terms of allies that you've kind of helped you along the way or that you look for, for support or, or for um, you know solidarity at the moment, who do you think is, is playing the biggest part in, in making positive change happen in athletics now? I think definitely, um, like I was saying before, having someone like Christian Malcolm as um, a black coach and, you know, the likes of Darren Campbell and even before them, Paula Dunn, who I have to give a big shout out to her because she has really just been doing so much work behind the scenes. She, For example, whenever I had an issue with, with any with race or discrimination, I felt like I always had to go to Paula. Mm. Paula Dunn is basically a black woman in power she's head of the paralympic team but the problem is paula doesn't run the the olympic program she doesn't she does not manage or take care of the athletes who are um you know on the olympic team world champs her side is more paralympic the only my only saving grace is because i've known paula since i was a junior athlete and i have a really really good relationship with her whereas before that that wasn't necessarily the case so that's why now we are starting to see changes um, like bringing Christian Malcolm in, bringing Dan and Campbell in, having other people within the organisation actually make space and just taking a step back. So you've got like, um, I believe uh, Louise Woodward stepped down from her position um, as the president of Team England or the Commonwealth Games Federation last year um, because of everything that was, you know, that conversations that we're now having. Um, so she was willing to, you know, take a step back and and just say, you know, give this, give my position to a person of colour. My my only issue with that is, like, why should it be on Louise as, as a woman? You know, because everyone wants to tick this diversity box. And sometimes it's okay to have, like, a woman in position. But why why should why should it be Louise? Why can't it be any of the other white men who are in? Like, how can you be, how can you allow this woman to do this, to basically step down from her position and, my understanding was from when I've met Louise, she always did a fantastic job, but why should it be on her? Who else is trying to be an ally aside from her? So you've got that situation. Um, and then, and yeah, going back to my sports, you know, having these conversations like I did. So last year when we did have the whole, um, you know, George Floyd um, murder, you know, on Callis murder that happened last year, a lot of the athletes that I was speaking to weren't training. They were not in a position to train. You know, they'd already realised that Tokyo was going to be postponed and, you know, their own federation were not having a discussion. But the medals come from the majority of black athletes. So how are these people in power not having a conversation with the athletes who are hurting and suffering the most? They weren't interested in training. They were interested in... in uh, protesting, they were interested in, um, unfortunately, watching the onslaught media, uh, the news that was going on, you know, seeing what was happening 
um, in Minneapolis and, you know, the riots and, you know, I felt for it, but so I had to actually make a phone call to, no, I had to send an email to Paula, who then put me in contact with the new CEO of British Athletics to be like, okay, I'm retired, so this ain't on me, but you, you've got a duty of care for the athletes who are still trying to compete to, you know, ha- you need to have these conversations. So now what we are seeing, and I don't think I don't think I really played a part in this. All I did was have a conversation. But now we are seeing within the sports, like they have regular um, meetings, like virtually, like they have this whole let's talk about race. Um, they have um, a diversity and inclusion network. They have a whole advocate advocacy team um, where you know this is going to be an ongoing conversation. And I believe they've also got a plan in place for the next four four to five years. Um, just to see change within positions of power. So, you know, not just Christian, not just Darren, but the people who do also work behind the scenes as well, because that's also been a big problem. So British Athletics have a duty of care, you know, England hockey, GB hockey, they also have a duty of care because we do want to see, you know, other people step down from their positions, you know, to just show us how much of an ally they really want to be. Yeah, 100%. And I think my kind of follow-on from that... um to both of you, we'll come to you and Ika first, is the kind of the flip side of it in that, as you say, it's good that there's this kind of institutional kind of backing, as it were, coming up more, more so in athletics. But how much of a pressure is it on individuals to kind of have to kind of carry the fire um, and push for change when, you know, really they're athletes, they, they just want to do their sport. This is a, a big load placed on people to kind of, you know, tackle issues, which as Gurmish said, are societal issues just reflected in sport. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, it is on the athletes to to have these conversations. Um, like I said, if you're a non-person of colour and you are able to wake up every day knowing that you, you're not going to get discriminated against, you no one's going to call you, you know, some racist remark or you're not going to feel as though you're going to be discriminated against even when you, even when they're in your presence. Because sometimes it can be the small, it's always the small things as well. You're walking into a room full of white people and then they see you um, or they look at your name and they go, oh, um, what? where are you from? Like, where are you really from? And I always tell people, oh, I'm from Smithtown or I'm from Waverton, <laughs> you know? And they're like, wait, well, where's that? No, where are you really from? No, where are you really, really from? And it's like you're not deemed British until, like, because you're you're not white, you're not um, you don't have a, a British name or an English name, and it's just those small, small microaggressions. So, unfortunately, it is for us to keep you know having these conversations and to just continue continue the conversation um, in order to educate people. We're going to come on to kind of actions that we'd like people to take on from this call, but just on that point. Specifically, because we've mentioned a couple of times now, people that obviously haven't experienced racism, um, you know, what 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 can they do to be better allies in what we're talking about here to to help help carry the load, as it were? Do you think, Anika? Um, there's a laundry list. <laughs> <I know laughs> there is, there is. Sometimes it 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 literally just starts with just stop stop having your head in the sand. You know, stop just thinking, oh, it'll go away. Um, like, you know, people get irritated. You see the fans in, I don't know, Formula One or football, and they just think, oh, yeah, let's just stop all that taking any now. It's Marxism. 
what what is Marxism? <laughs> you know, it's just stupid. Um, but yeah, it's just it it is about just simple education and just like I said, just being an ally. It goes as as small as something like reading books or speaking to a person of colour. If you were to ask me a question, it wouldn't necessarily be on me. I wouldn't necessarily cuss you out for asking me. But if you were to ask me about like my heritage or like my background or why I am ingrained the way I am, or why do why do you think that? Um, why do you why did you why did your parents tell you you had to work ten times as hard than your white counterparts as a young girl? Well, why is that? Mm-hmm. Like, if you were to if you were to ask me simple questions, I wouldn't have a problem with that. The problem is, is what you do and how you receive that information. If you're one of those people who are who just feel yourself being attacked, then it's pointless. But I just feel like it, it can be simple, as simple as just Googling, it's just reading books, it's just, you know, sitting in on conversations, talking to people of colour. Um, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily object to that. Uh, I don't know how, how other people of colour may feel because it's it's tiring it is tiring having to have these constant conversations but we also want we want allies we want people to understand we want to change the mindset of society and the only way that we can do that is by education educating ourselves in the process definitely and Gurmage, in terms of i guess what you've experienced in hockey trying to kind of fight these battles as well and you talked about the resistance or or at least the lack of engagement with with what you were kind of uh, tackling there how how have have you have you found that people have kind of have come round over the last year since you kind of went public with what you did? Have people had their eyes opened more, or are you still finding people that are resistant to it? Yeah, I think I think you asked me earlier about the media, and I, I, I forgot to answer that. The media have a massive part to play in this because if we keep having these conversations and keep recognising that the problem hasn't gone away, then it actually puts pressure on the the governing bodies to understand that they can't just brush the issues of the past and what are going on now, what's going on now under the carpet. And the media have a, a huge role to, to, to play in that. Um, in terms of resistance, yeah, there's still resistance. I mean, I know that we've done some um, uh, webinars where we've talked about different issues, some of them regarding race. And I think a lot of people still get quite defensive about that. They don't want to feel like they're being labelled as racist it's you know it's uh, that whole thing i was talking about before that racism is is kind of a binary thing but it's not you know th- this is about trying to help people understand that there are issues and how they can help be part of a solution and i think as, as john and amici always like you know really eloquently puts it it's not enough to say that you're not racist you have to be anti-racist to yeah. actively go out of your way <laughs> say that look this isn't good enough this needs to change and this is what we can do to to make it better completely and just to kind of follow on from that point to move on to our our next talking point really um i think a lot of this also comes down to leadership and both in terms of what you talked about anika and and also your work in in hockey as well gurmish but according to sport england by 2051 over a third or 38 percent sports participants in the UK will be black, Asian and of other ethnic backgrounds. However, people from minority ethnic backgrounds are currently underrepresented on sports boards, the media as well. Uh, They're also less likely to volunteer in sport or be even represented in sports media as well. And that reduces the talent pool for athletes and for diverse leaders for tomorrow. So both in terms of your work with Hockey All In 
and also as a chairman of a hockey club. Gurmage, what do you think could and should be done about this to, to make sure that the next generation are going to have the diverse leaders that, that maybe we've lacked in the past? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a big question. I think I'd, I'd really like to understand how Sport England came to those um, stats and where they've got them from. But I think you need to have a, a plan to to ensure that there's sort of equality of access to facilities and training and just make the cost of entry for the sport have a, a low sort of baseline, especially in sports like hockey, where it doesn't have to be really, really expensive to, to start. And, mm. you know, I think like the example that I gave earlier of having to pay £90 to go to national trials, I mean, only a, a small subsection of society are going to be able to um, to afford that. And, you know, the, the funders of who, who fund the sport England and who funds the, the athletes for the Olympics could argue that in the last 20 years that what they've done has been a success in the respect of GB have improved their medal tally over the last few years. And Anika could tell you that. But at the same time, if we look at some of the legacy issues, we've still got child poverty. We've got an obesity mm. problem in the country. So if the, if it's not trickling down to the, to the ground level and kids aren't getting the opportunities just to be fit and healthy and active because the environment they live in doesn't sort of promote that and they're getting into gang violence instead, then, you know, we've still got a problem. You know, sport can change people's lives. It can give people so many other opportunities. It can give them confidence to, to go on and not just become sort of top athletes, but to, to make something of their lives as well, just in, in, a, in a career sense and stop them going down the route of, getting into to gangs and we talk you were mentioning about the volunteers as well you know i look at sort of out of the Sikh community um the Sikh community has something called seva which means um, service to your community and people often do things that resonate with them so when i look at the Sikh community they do a lot in their local temples or they do a lot to feed the the homeless in their local area but I don't necessarily see people from our community or the Sikh community going out and volunteering at a tennis match or volunteering at hockey because it doesn't resonate with them because their yeah. kids in their local area aren't playing it. So you're not going to volunteer if, if you don't feel that it resonates with you and your local community. And I think we, we see that as well in, in I guess, the... the quite surprising lack of British Asian talent breaking through into professional football as well, because given the size of the communities in, in England especially, you would expect there would be more British Asian professional footballers, really. And I think we, we've done articles in the past looking at that, and it often it often seems that there are kind of like community efforts to kind of get players through and getting involved, but it's so disjointed with the wider kind of talent pass into football. Um, I, I guess, Annika, in, in terms of athletic, you've, you've talked about the progress we've seen with with greater diversity and leadership of late. Do you think there's anything other sport organisations, other sports could learn from athletics? Yeah, there's, there's so much work to be done. Um, just going back to what uh, Gomez was saying, because he was making some some really, really good points. And one of one of the things he says, which highlighted pretty much what I'm, what I'm trying to explain is accessibility and feasibility. So... When you're in communities where they are in a predominantly black and Asian uh, community and, you know, sometimes 
some people aren't don't have that much money in the family household thankfully i i did i did what was considered a working class sport but i also had a love affair when i was a kid of um for tennis watching serena williams and venus williams you know growing up and you know thankfully wavertree was next wage athletic center is next door to the uh, tennis center and um when i wasn't training on the track i would literally just go to the tennis center next door and just watch i wouldn't necessarily play but i would just watch but then when you look at the people around you it again it didn't make me feel comfortable because people again they don't look like you and when you're a young girl coming up in sport you're already dealing with identity issues because you don't see people on the track who look like you on a daily basis but then uh, in tennis it's even worse so um so yeah it i I would just love to see change within these different organizations, UK Sports, Sport England, all these other sports about what what are you doing? What are you doing to go into communities and, you know, setting up these different initiatives? Someone who's doing something fantastic, actually, within Liverpool is um, uh, Tasha Jonas. So GB Boxer and her cousin, Nikita, Nikita Jonas, I think, um, who's an England, England football player. So they are encouraging, they set up this initiative where they have like summer camps within boxing, within football. They're not just encouraging um, kids to just play football, they're encouraging girls, they're encouraging black and Asian girls to just, you know, participate in this in this week of, you know, sports. And, you know, I didn't necessarily have that growing up in Liverpool. So the fact that Natasha and uh, Nikita have these initiatives in place and they're going into, into this, these small communities and doing it is that something that maybe liverpool football club or everton have considered in the past i don't know but that's why it's also important to have role models and then the other thing i wanted to add as well is in terms of increasing accessibility for uh, other minorities within sport the biggest example that i've seen so far especially watching the olympics is seeing the amazing achievements of um kai white and um uh, emily campbell so kai white won olympic silver in the uh, bmx and emily campbell also won um silver in the weightlifting so women's weightlifting two people of color in what are considered minority sports mm. also to add side notes i wrote about this in my article that's going to drop tomorrow so um it's i think these these two people in particular are amazing role models because they are not from track they're not from um they're not from cycling like gb cycling they're not from swimming um they're not from where the medals are coming from they also have stories like kai he has he trains at a um a, a cycling track that was built in peckham he's now dubbed the the king or prince of Peckham, Peckham, which has got majority black and Asian people um, within the community. And you've got now this kid who's who's now coming back, who's now come back and he's won an Olympic medal. Like how, how unheard of is that? So it's just about setting these foundations and having them in place, but also you, utilizing these people, the likes of Emily, um, you know, first women, first female weightlifter to get a medal for GB since since forever, and for weightlifting since 1984. They're doing, they're making these historic, having these historic moments within their respective sports. So the next step I would love to see is these organisations actually saying, 
okay, we want to utilize you. We want to do this. Yeah. We want these, these people are role models. Otherwise, if you don't, it's just going to be a waste of an opportunity, in my opinion. I mean, it, it's wonderful that people are kind of becoming those role models for, for their community and going back and, and starting initiatives. But I guess it goes back to, to what we were talking about earlier in terms of that is still quite a heavy load on people to bear. And they, they might do it willingly because they want to see change. But to bring us to our last point, if the people watching this discussion and, and watching the, 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 the video, if you could pick one action point that they themselves could take from this event today, and bring into their lives to help address these issues. So it isn't just falling on the kind of individual heroism of the athletes to kind of do it themselves. What would that action point be and why, Anika? Um, I would probably say, look at what you've done in the past. So if you're a journalist, for example, look at the, something as simple as the, the language you've used um when it when it comes to describing maybe a person of color within sport and how that may have looked in the past and now that me and Gamerge have given you this information how are you going to use this moving forward is this something that you're actually going to change are you going to make yourself actively aware of this um are you going to continue to be an ally are you gonna just sit there and just go no i've posted my black square you know over a year ago <laughs> and that's as much as I want to do. No, because that's what people yeah, were totally, doing. Yeah. People were posting the black squares. I even know I even know brands who were posting the black squares and then within 48 hours they were deleting them. And they were using these ridiculous excuses saying like, Oh, it doesn't look good on our social media feed and you know, we we just don't believe in that, you know, we're all one and, and just coming up with the most ridiculous excuses. So I hope I hope everyone who's watching and who's listening is able to take on board everything that me and Gamed just said because these little small ideas and you know again speaking from experience as a black woman in sport is going to help the sport move is going to help sports media move forward but also create a bigger landscape and having these ongoing conversations. Yeah, brilliant. I guess same question for you as well, Gamed. If if there was an action point that you'd like the viewers to take away and put into their own lives to help address the some of the issues raised today what, what would it be and why for you yeah i think i i agree with annika like you know going back to what i said before ask yourself are you an anti-racist and the the second thing would be that don't just criticize and when i talk about criticize don't just put your black square on on your instagram or your twitter you know contribute as well what can you do to contribute to improving the situation and sometimes to do that you have to take yourself out of the the comfort zone you have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable sometimes could that be you know going to visit a different community to to your own could it be um doing that from your own bedroom or even from your office because you know if covid's taught us anything that we can have chats and learn from people from around the world um, a touch of a button and there's a there's a great um what's it called a great app now called lunch club where you subscribe every week um to have a meeting with somebody sitting anywhere in the world and you can just have a chat with them about anything for 30 minutes i just think that's a great way to just learn about people from different parts of the, of the world and understand that essentially we are all the same but we just do things in a different way we all want the same things we all want to um have a, a roof over our heads we all want to be healthy and we all want to be happy but the way that we get there might be slightly different thank you both for your time today i think 
it's been a really illuminating chat with some really valuable experiences shared and, and some insights as well. So do you guys, a very last kind of minute or so, do you want to plug your social media platforms and tell people where they can find you? Uh, Annika, do you want to go first? Yes. So I am on, why have I just gone brain dead? I'm on Twitter, <laughs> Twitter at Annie Onora. So A-N-N-Y-O-N-U-O-R-A. Instagram at Annika, A-N-Y-I-K-A. Um, and yeah, just look out for hit my hidden race coming up next year. Great. Gummage? Um, yeah, I'm on LinkedIn just as Gurmage, I think. Um, or you can find me as Gurmage Think Power, Twitter, Gurmage SP. That's G U R M E J S P. And um, Instagram events underscore Gurmage, G U R M E J. Superb. Well, once again, thank you for your time. Really fascinating chat with both of you. Um, and yeah, we're going to send around an email to all the attendees. And um, like I said, we'll try and include that reading list as well. Um, but thank you for joining us um, and hopefully see you at another event soon. Definitely. Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, everyone. Bye.